my sons are six and three. They're about to be seven and four, and they are becoming expert at Legos. Uh, in fact, I, we were away this week, and I was away uh, part of this week, and when I got home, uh, the thing that Judah wanted to do with Daddy was watch that Will Arnett Lego show. Have you seen it on, on, I think it's on Fox, I don't know, we get it on Hulu. But it's Will Arnett and it's Legos, so it's like, how, how bad can it be? It's going to be awesome, and it is. And so what, and it's this competition of who can build the best Lego. And then they have a judge, and then Will Arnett gets to destroy it, which is what I'm looking into. But my kids have taken into this, and what they've done is they've got really good at building walls. Uh, and so, and they'll build forts, and then inside of the fort is a divider, and they look for anything and everything that can divide what is Judah's and what is Caleb's. And so sometimes you'll have this fort that takes up our whole upstairs, and we have, we're, like, I think every house is this way, open concept, I think that's the new way. And so, but the, the blankets will stretch from the kitchen counter all the way over to the window. It's, there's no place to sit, so Carrie and I just go sit in our bedroom, but because they've, they've taken it all, and it's just covered in all of their stuff. And then inside of it is all of the cushions and the pillows that we could ever find, even the stuff from the emergency stash, right? And it's stacked. And when they run out of that, they stack Legos. And they got pretty good, and there's a wall. And, and then it's usually, it's usually good for about three minutes. And then they get upset. I hear, Caleb! Stop looking at my wall. And I was like, oh, crap, here it comes. And then Judah, I hear Judah. Caleb doesn't pronounce the D in Judah's name all the time, so it's Judah. Leave me alone. You know, it's the wall. You're breaching the DMZ is what I really want him to say because that would be more funny. But he's, they're, they're fighting over what's, who's coming on whose side. And Daddy, he looked over at my wall, and then it's a race to see which one can get to carry or I sooner. And sometimes we'll hide, like, uh, let's see if they can find us. Let's have some fun on our end, right? And, and then, and then the, Carrie's smarter than I am when it comes to parenting, and she'll say, um, well, what are you going to do about this travesty? And, and, and they look at her, and, well, uh, we like to employ the use of sarcasm in our parenting. We feel that it, 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 is, it is useful. And, and, and they'll say, well, I'm going to build a bigger wall. Or... Carrie will say, that's an option, or you could take down the wall and figure out how you can all play together, and then one of them will think, no, are you going to use that blanket? Because that'll be a better wall. They don't have to build a wall. They can figure out what to do with uh, their forts, and we've all been there. We've all had walls. We've all built walls, and in our day, in our planet, we've seen some pretty big walls being built between us all. Some are big, and some, are, some of us have gotten pretty good at it. And necessarily, when we think of walls, walls aren't inherently bad all of the time. There are some excellent uses for walls. Walls let us know where our, our stuff ends and where the other begins. And I'm thankful for walls that divide us most of the time. Hotel room walls are lovely. Really glad we're not in a hostel. Uh, I'm thankful for the wall on the side of the freeway. I'm thankful for the wall in our backyard. Walls offer protection. Walls offer uh, preservation. Walls offer us provision. We set up relational walls, or what we call boundaries, that provide us structure in our personal lives. They aren't a problem until they are. The wall in my, my kid's fort wasn't a problem 
until it was. When the walls that we build in our lives begin to define the other people around us, now they can become troublesome. You see, walls are great until they're used to define, degrade, and defeat the other person on the other side of the wall. But sadly, I think that's where we've gotten today. We live in a day where everyone has gotten really good at building walls and they're creating labels and they're taking a side or they're joining a club and the walls are being built with materials of hatred and division instead of health and flourishing. If you don't subscribe to my views and my beliefs, you're an evil person and you're on that side of the wall and I can't be around you. If you don't subscribe to my theology that I believe in, uh, hand me a brick because I want to wall you off. If you don't have the same abilities as me, give me a brick. I'm going to wall you off there too. If you don't vote the same way I do, give me a brick. If you, don't, if you have a different, different ethnic background than I do, hand me another brick. Your culture is different from mine, give me a brick. You're too old, you're too young, you're single, you're married, you have kids, you don't want kids, you don't like kids, you have a dog, you don't want a dog. We find everything we can to build a wall. And so the walls are built around these materials, and it's like adult version of Legos, right? They're built with ageism, ableism, economic status, racism, marital status, housing status, vaxxed status, if you have kids or not, voting, theological practices, and the list can go on and on and on. And if we think about it, we've all built a wall using one of those materials. And we stack them high, and we stack them far. And like my sons, we imply that you should never, ever, ever think about crossing my wall. It's my wall. And so we're divided. It's not a new thing. It's not just America. It's not just racism in America. It's not just ableism in America. It's worldwide, and it's been around since the beginning of time. These last three years have just revealed the cracks in our society. And we've done everything in our power, our power, that's the thing, our power, to heal these divisions. And yet we find ourselves more and more at each other's throats because it's done in our power. The problem is that the solutions we create only bring a greater division. Today, as we begin this new series, exploring the division in, in, our, in our world, and, and we're going to look at racism, we're going to look at all the isms, if you'd like, I want us to start uh, on the right note. Today I want to give you some three examples. Two of them are examples of how you and I would normally try and solve the divisions in our world. And the third one is how or what can actually heal the divisions in our world. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, Genesis chapter 10 is a genealogy, and if you, have, if you have read through the Bible, usually you get to genealogies and you want to go, cool, fast forward. Uh, but genealogies in Genesis tell us, kind of, they, they catch us up to speed about what's been happening. The Tower of Babel sits in Genesis chapter 11. But Genesis chapter 10, most scholars will agree, is where the Tower of Babel actually happened. Tower of Babel is a weird story, right, if, you, if you're familiar with it? Uh, what the author's doing in Genesis, in Genesis is they'll tell a story. We see this in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes through all seven days. Almost at six, there's seven. And then Genesis chapter 2 begins with the same story repeated, right? So you have the bullet points, and then you have the narrative. And this is employed a few times. It happens in Genesis 6. It happens here in Genesis 10 and 11. It happens later on in Genesis. So when you look at Genesis 10 and 11, see them as one story. 
Genesis 10 is the, is the table of nations after Noah and the flood. Noah's sons had more kids, and then they had more kids, and now they're repopulating the earth, so to speak. And then something happened there. They split. They divided. They, something, a division happened. Uh, uh, we don't know what it is until we turn the page into Genesis chapter 11, where we see what actually spread them apart. Now, them going into all of the earth was God's plan, and that's what they, that's what they were told to do. And Genesis chapter 10 shows us that they weren't necessarily doing that, but they were still divided. They still didn't necessarily get along. And so Genesis 11 is a way for them to say, on our power, we're going to do something that can rally us all together and get God to descend to us from earth. We're going to build a tower. And so when we think of tower, I don't know if you're like me, but when I think of the Tower of Babel, I think of a big leaning tower of Pisa, right? Wrong. I was corrected. You do too? Great. Uh, Dan, I think there's a slide of what it might have looked like. This is called a ziggurat. Sounds like cigarette, but it's called ziggurat. Uh, this is most likely what it was. On the Lego show, I was telling a group of people, I love this show, they had to build a tower that uh, withstood a 10-point Richter scale, and the person who won, it looked something like this. That bottom part is entire, it's solid. It's not like a pyramid where it's hollow. It's solid, and then they build on top of that. This is probably what the Tower of Babel looked like. On top of it would have been a doorway, if they ever got that far, where, God, where they thought God could enter in and come down that huge flight of stairs to be with them. That was what they were hoping for. It's a pretty noble goal, right? Hey, we want, we're, we're divided here, and, and leaders do this all the time. We have a divided congregation or a business or, or, or whatever. We say, let's all rally around one big project, and that big project will bring us unity, right? And so we design, we design these programs that are going to heal the divisions. This is what was happening, and here's what they said in Genesis chapter 11, 3. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks, and bricks were a new technology in that day. This is a new thing. So they were tech, this is like the, the PC computer back in the 80s or whatever the next technology is now. This is cutting edge. We're going to make bricks and we're going to bake them thoroughly. They're going to be strong. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens. This is incredible. This is a great idea so that we'll be able to make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the earth. You see this? They're sensing the divisions. They don't like it. They're trying to figure it out. And they want to prevent it. And so this building project came with a great intention, uh, with a good idea. They wanted to reach God. They wanted to heal their divisions. In doing this, they would hope that this would solve the problems and then gather around the same building. But do you see the problem that they had? They were doing this whole thing for who? So that we might make a big name for ourselves. Let us do this. We want to design a program where we get the credit their desire for unity was great. Their, dis their desire to dismantle what was ever going to divide them was awesome. But they were doing this in order that they would get the promotion, in order that they would get the credit. Their motives were wrong. In essence, they were looking to themselves to solve the problem. 
Now look what happens. In Genesis 11, uh, God is speaking here. He says, let us go down and confuse their language so they won't understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all of the earth, and they stopped building the city. Now this takes place probably somewhere in the middle of chapter 10. This is why they split. This is the story within the story. But God says something there. He goes, if they keep going, then there's nothing that's going to stop them, and the divisions that we have are just going to get greater and greater and greater. So let's stop this. Here's why this matters. If the solutions, if our solutions to what divide us only make us feel better, then it's not really a solution. It's grounds for another future problem. It's not going to solve anything. There are divisions in our world, and sadly they exist. And not to be fatalistic, but these divisions will probably always exist. There's always going to be something wrong. There's always going to be a reason why we can't speak to the other. There's always going to be a dividing wall. But another program that we design for ourselves is not going to heal the racial tensions that we have in our world. Another program that we design is not going to achieve uh, the ageism that we see where younger people look down on older people. Another program or another class, another book group, is not going to heal the divide that we see between rich and poor. Why, you ask? Because when we do that, we're not addressing the problem of our hearts. Most of these programs uh, don't produce what we're looking for because we can't educate ourselves out of this. There's a deeper problem than, within us than just learning about something a little bit better. There's a deeper problem with us. In Genesis 11, we see Babel showing us trying to get uh, somewhere on our own power and strength, and it doesn't work. In fact, it ends up creating more and more division, and it leaves us more and more divided. It leaves us searching for the center. Now, the book of Genesis is written in, in a somewhat chronological order, and, and it's brilliant the way it is. I mean, it should be. It's Scripture, right? But you see in Genesis 10 and 11, you see the people of earth that they tried to figure out how to heal the problems on the earth with their own strength and power. God comes down and says, you can't do it on your own. It's not for you to get the credit. This is not what you should be doing. It's not going to work. And then if you turn the page or if you look down further in your Bible, you see that God has a response in the, ver in the last part of chapter 11. And then he starts talking about Abraham. So you have man's way of doing it. We're going to build a better program. We're going to build a better building, and that's going to make us all get along. And you have God going, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. But let me show you what will. And we're introduced to the story of Abraham. Father Abraham had what? Many sons had Father Abraham. And, many, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So we're going to praise the Lord. You have to finish that. He had many sons, and through the line of Abraham, we are introduced to Jesus. So you have God's way of doing it, and you have man's way of doing it. So God says, this isn't going to work. And God says, I see the divisions. Now watch what I'm going to do. And he picks Abraham, a 75-year-old person, a man who lives with his parents still in a land called Ur. And he calls him out and says, I'm going to make you a nation. And from you, the entire world will be blessed. And so you have God's way of doing it and our way of doing it. 
Another program won't happen. There's another example we want to look at. Modifying our behavior won't do it either. Uh, if, if we can't program it out, if we can't program the divisions, usually we try to control how people act. That doesn't work either. If, you have, if you're in your Bibles, flip over to the book of Ephesians. There's a lot of stuff in the middle that talks about the same things, but we're just going to skip it all and go to the Ephesians and, and hold on to your horses because then we're going to be in Revelation. Don't get scared. It's going to be just fine. Before Jesus, before Paul met Jesus that day in, in Acts, uh, Paul was one of the ones who enjoyed the wall. Uh, Paul would have thought everyone in the world is split up into two groups. There's Jewish people, and then there's Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And, everyone, and, and so you were either a Jew or you were everyone else. And in Paul's mind, if you weren't Jewish, you weren't much. And so Paul was fine with these walls. Gentiles were allowed to convert to Judaism as a religion, but they were still held at an arm's length. There were walls, literally walls, that kept them away. First, there was the law. The law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is often called the iron wall or the iron law, which kept people out. The Jews tried to follow it. Most Gentiles didn't. The law, the law kept people away. But the most significant wall, and Paul was a fan of that first law. We can see how he writes in Romans, the law was good, but the law wasn't good enough, he says. The law points to a bigger need. But then there was another wall that was significant to Paul. Uh, and, and, and if you look at historians like Josephus and Philo, what you'll see is they talk about this barrier that existed in the temple. It divided the courts from the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. Gentiles can go in. To the temple. They can become Judaism followers. They can worship like worship Yahweh, but there's only so far that they can go in. And then there was a physical, literal wall that kept them separated from the Israelites. And if they were to go past that wall, uh, they weren't sure what would happen to them. There was a sign, and, and archaeologists have found remnants of the sign written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, saying that if you pass this point, Gentile, we can't promise that you'll come back alive. In other words, it's not beware of the dog, it's beware of the owner behind the wall. We just might kill you if you get across this boundary. And the before Jesus, Paul would have looked at that wall and went, that's a good one, let's keep that here. He would have agreed with it. He would have bought into this ethnocentric uh, view that the Jews are higher than the rest, a view that went beyond racial superiority, but it also went to philosophical and moral elitism. He talks about this in, in, in the latter part of Romans, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he starts talking a little more about this and how that's not how he thinks anymore because he met Jesus. After Jesus, Paul wanted nothing to do with the separation. In fact, you can see it in Acts chapter 28 uh, where he takes a man named Trophimus, Trophimus and he says, I'm going to take him. Trophimus was from Ephesus and he says, we're going to take him on the other side of the wall just to see what happens. Paul got into a lot of trouble, had to apologize, and, but he proved his point. He took him into a restricted area where the Jews freaked out. For Paul, this was a man-made wall that produced more and more hostility and had nothing to do with what God intended this temple to be. A wall built by human hands to control behavior according to Paul, wasn't going to end in anything but more conflicts. And again, we see this pattern. It's a human attempt to keep the peace, and it doesn't work. 
Now watch what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's made this big case about how in Christ, you and I are adopted into a new family. We're given a new identity. We're given a, a, a new inheritance. You and I, whether our differences are there, are brought in to the family of Christ. We are family. We are one. And then he says in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace, and he's talking about Christ, who has made the two groups, Jewish, non-Jewish, one, and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, just making peace, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God by the cross, which puts an end to death and their hostility. In other words, the law was meant to control people. We're going to do behavior modification through the law. We're going to give them rules to follow, things to say, places to stand, and if you don't say, do, or follow these rules, you're not good enough. You can't belong. You have to say these exact words in order to get in. And Paul says that's not how it works. Don't come in here unless you think and agree with exactly how we think and agree. And Paul says, no. Can you see why this would cause hostility? Because what was meant to unite people, worship of the living God, divided people. This was the very thing that Jesus came to destroy. Jesus came to destroy this version of superiority. No one is on a moral high ground. Instead, what Paul shows us is that we're all on level ground at the foot of the cross, where we all come from differing starting points, achieving the same end, which is Jesus. Any thought that we have for you and I that makes us seem that we're on a higher level because we measure ourselves by how good we are places us behind the very wall that Jesus came to destroy. So if you think you're better than this... Sorry, Siri admitted it. If you think you're better than someone because you have a specific belief, you've built yourself a wall. If you hold yourself to a morally superior person because you look a certain way, you've built yourself a wall. If you built yourself a morally superior or, or ability superior because you have the ability to walk up steps faster than this person or, or you, you don't have a, a, a mental illness, you've built yourself a wall. And we see this all over the place. And Paul is saying, hey, look, Jesus came to destroy that wall. Don't build a wall that Jesus is trying to tear down. Don't put another brick where he's doing a demolition project. So we have the human response saying that we're going to make a program in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We're going to have this to educate the, the divisions out of our society. Those don't work or we're going to have behavior modifications where we're going to cancel people that don't agree with us or kick people out that don't agree with us. That doesn't work. The only thing that does work, and if you want to turn your Bibles to Revelation, this is what unites us. In Revelations chapter 7, this is about where things in the book of Revelation start to get weird, okay? So we're not going to go beyond this. But John is, John is looking around and he says, After this, I looked... And before me was a multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, and language. They were standing before the throne of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
this is a picture of where history is going, right? This is the end times. This is, this is after, you know, the, if the rapture, wherever you place it. This is a time where everyone is gathered. Now, the Bible will say 144,000. That's code to saying there was a heck of a lot of people around here. It's not necessarily a literal number. Uh, it's just more than they can count. And he's saying, look, this is where this is going. Everybody from every tribe, tongue, and nation is coming to what? To gather around the center of the universe, which is Jesus. People from everywhere, every tribe, every nation, every language. Common materials that we use to build walls today are tribes, languages, and people. And Paul is saying, look, it's, or John is saying, all of those walls are down. And we're standing side by side, and we're focused on the very center of everything that should unite us, which is the person of Christ. We could say it this way, people from every ethnic background, people from every educational achievement, people from every economic category, people from various abilities, all came together to worship Jesus. This passage isn't putting an end to the distinctions which make, make us unique. That's not the point. It's not saying that we're all going to turn into robots and drop any kind of cultural identity that you have. That's not the point. But it is saying that it's going to, to take down those things that we have placed between each other, and it's going to disintegrate them, and we're all going to be able to stand side by side because of Jesus. And it transforms us, and it gets us off of our programs. It gets us off of our, our behavior modifications. If Babel was a scattering, Revelation shows the opposite. Revelation shows a gathering. If the walls of the law kept people out, the love of Christ is bringing people close. I get this picture of a concert where everyone is huddled in together, and you, all you can do is jump up and down, right? There's so many people there, and it's going to be so sweaty, and I, that's the only problem that I'm looking for. I hope they have a good AC. But it shows us that the only thing that we can use to heal the divisions in our world is Christ. One of my favorite stories in Acts is in Acts chapter 3. So if you want to back up a little bit, uh, it's, it's right at the beginning of Acts. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, the key verse in Acts chapter 1 is they're going to go out uh, by the power of the Spirit, and they're going to build this church. Uh, this is wait until the Spirit comes upon you, and the Spirit comes upon them in, in, in Acts chapter 2, and they're gifted and empowered. And in the very next verse, our very next chapter, Peter and John are walking through the temple. And they come across a man who they've probably seen before. Uh, he'd, been the, he'd been there every day for all of his life. The Acts chapter 3 tells us uh, that he would get dropped off in the morning and he would beg for money. It, it says that he was unable to walk. And the picture we get is that everyone knows him. He's dropped off, and, and he's trying to, these, as the people go into the temple, he's trying to guilt them into giving him money. And who knows if he had handlers. We don't know who put him there. It could have been a family member. But this is all he can do. And he sits there and stares and asks for charity. That's a great spot for him. He's probably doing pretty well, but he's stuck. And if you look at where he is, a placement matters in the book of Acts especially, he's outside the temple. He can't go any further in the temple. This is as close as he can get. For him, there are walls. There are two of them. One's his ability. He can't walk. 
and the other is the wall that, against the temple that he leans against. He's unclean. He can't go inside. And so he's stuck. And the text implies he's been sitting there with this far-off stare to, uh, looking into the void of, a, of existence. We, we've seen this on people's faces as you drive down the street. They're in despair. They're confused. They're frustrated. Uh, and they're hurt. And it's not just temporary. This hurt and what they're feeling is a, is a normal part of their life. And so one day, Peter walks by, and he's with John, and they're walking into the temple. Uh, who knows why they were going to the temple? It was just part of what they did with their life. But uh, th- this is after Jesus descended. It's after Pentecost, and they pass by this man, and with the far-off stare says, do you have any money or alms or whatever he would have said? Peter and John were stopped in their tracks, and they looked at him. And the word for looked isn't just a passing glance. The word for look is a gaze. They studied this man. They watched him. They stared at him. It wasn't just a passing glance of, oh, that guy's back. Oh, I've read this sign before. I wonder how he's doing. This was an intentional stare. They were looking into his eyes. And then Peter spoke first, as Peter's custom was, right? He always is the one to say something first. He says, look at us. So this man was looking past them, and he says, no, look. And the word for look there is different from the word that Peter says, when, or that, that is what Peter and John looking at him. It's like, hey, look into our eyes. Look at us. Which kind of woke the man up, right? The, the word look, it also means to, do you recognize who we are? Peter and John have been with Jesus, and everyone knew who those people with Jesus uh, would have been. And he says, do you know who we are? Do you recognize us? Do you realize this? We're those guys that have been walking with that Jesus guy for a little bit. And then Peter gives a response. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. So this man's looking for a temporary reprise to his problems. He's looking for money. He's looking for a way to buy himself out of this. Comfort. What does Peter say he doesn't have? I don't have a temporary solution to your problem. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Do you see the difference here? I don't have a man-made solution to your problem. I have the answer to your problem. In other words, I have the permanent solution to your temporary means. Throwing money to solve a problem is not going to make you feel any better, but I know who will. Then Peter and John help this man to his feet, and probably it's the first time he's ever used them, right? it's the first time that his feet ever felt his body weight and those muscles in your legs and everything begins to tighten up as the text says. Uh, It's the first time he's ever done any of this and his feet and ankles become strong. And in verse 8, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and jumping and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit out there begging at the gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. What healed him? What brought him away from the walls? Was it money? No. Was it a program? No. Was it a behavior modification trying to teach him to think a certain way? No. It was the power of Christ that healed him. That's what does the healing. It wasn't a behavior modification that made the man's feet strong. We tend to be suckers for those band-aids of of improvements, the temporary solutions. It makes sense. If I can throw money at a problem, I feel good about it, and I don't have to worry about what happens. I did my part. 
They're easy, it sticks anywhere. In some cases, it makes us feel better. But a Band-Aid can't fix the solution. Or a Band-Aid is not the solution to the problems that we have. What we have is a problem of sin. And sin makes the walls. Sin keeps us divided. And the only thing that takes care of that sin is Jesus. This man experienced that. The only cure for his inability to walk wasn't silver and gold. It was an encounter with Christ. And Peter and John were clear. We're not going to fix this on our own power. But the power that we have, we give to you. Walk. In the name of Jesus, walk. For true healing to occur, for our divisions in our world to be made whole again, it has to begin with Jesus. And so we're beginning this series talking about the divisions in our world. We're going to address racism. We're going to address all of them that come and divide us. But if we begin this discussion by what can we design or what kind of building we can build or what kind of charity thing we can collect, we're going to fall flat on our face. The only thing that can heal the divisions that we see is Christ. And that division is healed first with inside of you. But I don't know where this lands today. Usually there's a sense when we're preparing this that it's going to end up here, but I, I, I don't know how this lands. I do know that every one of us has a wall somewhere. We're on the other side of it. And we tend to look down on the people who aren't on our side of the wall, and that's wrong. Whether you're on the far left or the far right or the extreme center, there's walls dividing, and those walls don't need to be there. You can have your opinions. We can all have our opinions, and that's great. The problem is when those walls begin to define the people on the other side. Perhaps you have them, and you notice them, and you've bumped into them, and maybe they've left a painful mark on your life where, wow, I didn't mean to walk into that wall, and that person bit my head off. I didn't mean to do that, and there's a wall. You discovered them. Maybe you vowed to dismantle every single of those walls that you've come, and you've been doing the strong work to dismantle all of them, and now you're exhausted. Why? Because you're doing the work on your own power, on your own strength. You're trying to build a program. You're trying to do the behavior modifications, and now you're out of juice, and you have nowhere to go, and you're falling into despair. Maybe you've seen the tendencies in your life to wall people off and get them out because of their disabilities, their gender, their age, their job status, their housing status, they're married, they have kids, whatever, and you realize that the more walls you build around your life, the less and less people you have, and pretty soon you're going to be on your own island out there, and that's not any good either. The only way to remove the walls that you and I create is to allow Jesus to demolish them. And then, and only then, will we begin to see the healing that can come through Christ. And so for these next few weeks, I'm going to ask you to, this, to do this. Be open. Once we start talking about divisions, once we say the R word of racism, we wall up. I've seen it. It happens to me. And I go, I really don't want to talk about this. Because none of us do. Or once we say that we're going to talk about what divides us with our abilities or our genders or our orientation, we start going, ah, the wall, 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 wall. Don't bring that into me. I'm fine where I live. Leave me on my side of the wall. I'm going to ask that we remain open to what God might be teaching us about the walls that we've created and how we've kept people out. The walls that we don't, that we don't think exist to be made painfully aware of. My hope is that in the next few weeks, we begin to address the walls in your heart and life 
and ask Jesus to ask or ask Jesus what he thinks about these walls. When he begins to dismantle them, the challenge is this: don't rebuild a wall that Jesus has taken down. And in doing so, my hope is this that we'll find that Jesus wants to begin the process and expose us to other th- others in order to show them how beautiful it is when Jesus is at the center of us and the things that divide us are not. Ending divisions is bigger than a sermon series. Ending divisions is bigger than a small group series. It's more than just a four-hour podcast. It's more than just stacking more cushions like my boys do to divide themselves. Ending the divisions and the tensions in our world begins with placing Christ where he is in Revelation chapter 7, at the center of it all, at the center of our lives. And so as Dylan and and Em come back up, what's at the center of your life right now? Who are you gathered around? Is it a political person? Is it an ideology? Is it a book you read? Is it a podcast you have? That's your controlling factor. And do you see how that might be making divisions? And where is Jesus breaking into your story saying, this wall doesn't belong here? Maybe it's time to take it down. Be like the Will Arnett version on the Lego Masters show that I watch. There's a wall, and he has a hammer, and Jesus is saying, not today. It's got to crumble. It's got to go. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have come to end the divisions between all of us to end the labels, to bring us together, that we all stand on the common ground of the cross of the level ground, equal together, looking upon the same person, and that is you, the one who unites us, the one who defines us, the one who can bring us peace. And God, we don't want to be all the same. That's boring but we want to have the same focus. We want to be pursuing the same Christ. Would you give us the courage to address the walls that we have over the next few weeks that are dividing us? Would you give us the courage to ask your spirit to begin to work in all of us? Because the only thing that's going to cure our inability to walk into that temple is you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that this is what the gospel means. Taking the division and making unity. Beauty in our differences. It's in your name we pray. Amen.